You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. And take your Bible, turn with me to Luke, please, chapter number 10. Thank you for being in church tonight, and thank you for singing, and thank you for all the specials, and just a good day in the house of God. Thank you to every bus that ran, and the men who and ladies who drove the buses, and those who worked on the routes, and for bringing young people here, and for all the Sunday school teachers, and everybody that just did their part to make today a successful day for the glory of God. And that's what we want to do, by the way. You know, every time somebody gets saved, whether it's a, a bus kid, whether it's somebody who drove in themselves, whether it's a businessman, or somebody that has no money in the bank at all, when they get saved, all of heaven calls time out to shout over one sinner that gets born again. This is pretty amazing. Heaven's a place of joy, and we can add joy to it. Heaven's a place of happiness, and we can make it happier. You say, how can I do that? Simply by being a soul winner, we throw out more gospel, more folks get born again, and we can keep heaven rejoicing all the time. There's a lot of things churches do that might get headlines on earth, but don't even make a ripple in heaven. But I tell you, we can make headlines in heaven all the time by getting people saved and letting the Lord use us in that way. And thank you for what you've done today to make today a great day. Luke chapter number 10. Now, I'm kind of debating it, but I think I'm going to go ahead and do it. Read verse number 1 all the way down through verse number 20. And because that's a lengthy portion of Scripture, just stay seated. And I won't, I won't take forever in reading it, but I want to read it just so that we can have the context of the passage that I'm going to try to preach from tonight. Luke chapter number 10 and verse number 1, look what the Bible says. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. Now, these are 70 men chosen out of the greater portion of his followers, 12 disciples, 12 apostles, 12 tribes of Israel, 70 evangelists now chosen, 70 elders in Israel. All these numbers are important. But their job is to go before the Lord and to sort of pave the way, be a forerunner for him where he would enter and serve and minister behind them. Verse number two, therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, The kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you not, go your ways out into the streets of the same, and say, Even the very dust of your city, which cleaveth on us, we do wipe off against you. Notwithstanding, be ye sure of this, that the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. But I say unto you that it should be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe unto thee, Chorazin, woe unto thee, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which had been done in you, they had a great while ago repented, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which are exalted to heaven, shalt be thrust down to hell. 
He that heareth you heareth me, and he that despiseth you despiseth me, and he that despiseth me despiseth him that sent me. Now stop right there because that ends that first section. There's an allotment of time between verse 16 and verse 17. I don't know how many days it was. There was some period of time there between the commissioning of that 70 and then them returning to the Lord with a report about their mission work. In that time period, they'd gone forth and they had followed the instruction of the Lord. They'd been paired up two by two. They hadn't taken much with them. They weren't entangled with the affairs of this life. They weren't seeking filthy lucre. They just let the Lord provide for them. They preached. They did miracles. God blessed in a powerful way. And you can imagine how excited they would be when they came back. I mean, think about it. The Lord has endued them with power unlike they had ever experienced before, and they had been effective in serving God. They had followed His command. They had seen God do only things God could do through their life, and now they come back to report to Jesus. You think about how excited they must have been, and rightly so. So in verse number 17, they return. Look what it says. And the 70 returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld, this is Jesus responding to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall, it, fall from heaven. If you study your Bible, there are five different times when Satan is cast down from on high to down low. And I don't really get into it, but it's interesting. There's five letters in Satan, five letters in devil, and five times he falls in the scripture. King James Bible is a pretty good book. Verse number 19, look what it says. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So here's what's happened up to this point. The disciples come back and say, Lord, you'll never believe it. We've cast out devils. We've done things that no man can do. We've seen victory over the adversary, and they're full of joy because the devils are subject to them through the name of the Lord. And Jesus said, hey, wait a minute. Basically saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. He said, you think that's something? He said, I saw Satan get cast out of heaven. He said, you, he, the devils are subject unto you, but I saw the devil get his tail kicked out of heaven. He said, so just slow your roll, you know, calm down just for a minute. And he says something in verse number 20. Look at this, notwithstanding. You know what that means? Hold up. That's good and everything, but wait a second. In this, rejoice not. Don't shout over that. Don't get happy over that. Don't lose it over that. He said, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject unto you. But he said, if you want a cause to rejoice, I got something a little better than that. He said, but rather rejoice because your names are written. Where Miss Strofe sang about a minute ago, where we sang about together with Brother Martinez, your names are written in heaven. He's saying, why in the world are you losing it over the fact that you did something that's not going to last? That is a temporal passing kind of a thing. He said, I've got something permanent. He said, I've got something bigger, something higher than that. He said, hey, listen, you're excited about that, but up in heaven right now, there's more than streets of gold and gates of pearl and a crystal sea. There is a book up there, and your names are written in the book. He said, if I were you, I'd rejoice over that. For a little while this evening, I want to try to encourage you. I mean, and I mean that word try. I want to try and encourage you tonight. Don't act... Like it's a funeral for me, please. I want to preach on this thought. Your name has preceded you. Now that's worth shouting over. Let's pray, God. I pray you'd help us. Give us liberty, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. I travel 
kind of a lot. I travel quite a bit. And sometimes when you travel, you get delayed. Have you ever been delayed before? The worst place to be delayed is the airport. And I've been stuck in airports all hours of the day and night. And in the airports, you know, everything costs a million dollars and you go broke because you buy things you don't need because you're bored and you just wait around in the airport. But I remember, I think it was a year ago, I was flying somewhere and I got stuck in San Francisco until three in the morning. My flight got delayed and I just sat there and sat there and sat there. And I got a little bit nervous because the place where I was flying to uh, was a was a, was a crowded city, a large city, and I know that the hotel they always put me in is always booked up. There's no way to get a room there unless you book it in advance. And I was afraid, because I've had this happen before, that if I did not get there on time, they sell your room, they give your room away to somebody else at a higher rate. Now, I know you don't believe that, but it happens. I mean, can you, can you believe it? And so they'll make more money off of it. And I got a little bit nervous about that. So I called ahead to that Hampton Inn or whatever it was. And just to check on them, I wasn't there. I was in San Francisco. And I called across the country, middle of the night, early morning over there. And I just said, I said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm stuck here in San Francisco. I'm going to get there eventually. And I'm worried about my room. I said, when I get there, I want to get in a coma, you know, because I got to preach that evening. And I don't want to be in a bad mood until I start to preach. So I want to get a nap. And I said, so I need to get in that. That room pronto you know I want to make sure it's available and the lady on the other side said don't worry we've already got your name here I tell you that was an assuring thing because here's what she's saying I hadn't arrived yet but my name was already on their register and because my name was on their register I had a place prepared and a place reserved for me even if I was delayed because my name was on it it was mine my name had preceded me there it is crazy to me to consider the things that Christians get stirred up about I've seen Christians get happy over a lot of strange stuff. I mean, it's crazy to me. I've seen Christians shout over decorations. I've seen Christians get stirred up over sports. I saw my dad break his finger on the ceiling of our house over the Cleveland Browns one day. Just stood up and shouted and hit his hand on the... He's never shouted in church, I don't think. But anyway, I've seen crazy things. I've seen Christians get excited over a new outfit that they have. And they walk in like some spiritual peacock, you know, going to get a crick in their neck, wanting you to see their new tie. And I mean, they get stirred up about all of those things. And it seems crazy to me. It's, it's the external stimuli that seems to get us to rejoice the most and the things that we can see and the things that we can touch that seem to give us that momentary impulse and say, I'd rejoice in that. I got a raise. I think I'll rejoice. I caught a big fish on the boat. I think I'll rejoice. I got a new car. I think I'll rejoice. And it seems like we're motivated by things we can touch or things that we can see. And that causes us to rejoice. And truthfully, that's just how it is. It's easier to get stirred over feelings than over facts. It is easier to get stirred over things that we can hold than things that we have to hope for. It is easier to rejoice in things we can touch than things that are simply true. It's easier to have joy over that which is temporal maybe than that which is eternal. What I mean is it is more natural to shout over money. It is more natural to shout over success. It is more natural to shout over victory. It is more natural to rejoice over an achievement. It is easier to rejoice over something that is present or something that is even passing as long as we can hold it in our hands. Now, I'm not saying we ought not be thankful for that. I'm thankful for the house I live in. I'm thankful for the clothes that I have. I'm thankful for the car that I drive. I'm thankful for the, I was going to say the guns that I own, but it's, I don't want anybody to know that I own those. But anyway, I'm thankful for the things that God has blessed me with. But tonight for a Christian, there is something more worthy to be stirred up about and something more worthy to rejoice over than a bunch of things that moth and rust will corrupt and that will burn up in the judgment someday. Tonight I want to remind you, we know it's true, but it's true nonetheless. 
nonetheless that if you're saved, your name has preceded you and there's a book of life in heaven and your name is in the book. I thought about this. Before I ever was born physically, my name was in this world. Before I ever existed, my parents got together and they chose a name for me. And uh, you can talk to my parents and they would tell you just like you did with your kids. They began to prepare a place for my arrival. I hadn't even gotten there yet, but my name was already on their lips. My name was on paperwork. My name was inscribed on pillows and blankets and spoken in their house. And though I was not there, my name got there before me. Well, tonight can I say, there is another country, there is another heavenly Father, there's another house, if you will, and though you've not touched down there yet, your name has already been spoken and your name is written down. That word proceed means to go before. It means to pioneer. It means to forerun. When something proceeds, it is testifying that it has arrived first, but there's more on the way. So tonight, if you're saved, it might be hard to grasp, but listen, your name has gone somewhere that you've not gone yet. But it's a place you're going to go. And what it's doing there is testifying of the fact that you're on the way. Here in Luke chapter number 10, the chapter begins with Christ commissioning these 70 disciples or these 70 evangelists to go out and serve in these cities before he arrives. In verse 1 through 2, it talks about him recruiting them and he reveals to them the need. He gets these 70 men. Now, these men have no names at all mentioned in the scripture. They're just men that were following the Lord. And he picks these 70 men out and he pairs them up two by two. That's why when we go soul winning, we take a partner with us when we go soul winning because it is a Bible thing, right? It's a scriptural example. And these men were to go out two by two, and here's why. Jesus looked out on the world and said it is like a harvest field that is past due to be harvested, and it's about time we get out there and bring in the sheaves. And let me say, that is exactly why you and I are still breathing air tonight. If you're saved, you've been left here to tell somebody else how to get saved. Amen. That's why we have faithfulness rally in the bus meeting. That is our purpose. That's why we're, why we're here. In verse 3 through 16, he tells them their responsibility. He also tells them about the reception they would receive. He said, now I want you to go your way and you're going to go like a lamb walking among wolves. Don't get, it, don't get it twisted. The world doesn't love the Christian. Never has and it never will. And he said, I don't want you to take a purse with you. I don't want you to take a, a bag with you. I don't even want you to take an extra pair of shoes. What he's saying is, I want you to be on guard and unhindered because you've got a big job to do. He said, when you go forth, you go to someone's home that welcomes you in that home. He said, don't go from house to house trying to make a million dollars by a private plane and get a TV show on TBN. He said, you just go to one house and you anchor there and let those folks take care of you. And whatever they put before you, you eat. That's probably one of the hardest Bible verses I have trouble obeying right there. I dare you to obey that. <laughs> You travel a while in evangelism or you get on the mission field and you just say, I'm going to eat whatever they put in front of me. You will be dead. Amen. I've been places before and I thought this has to be like that fear factor show. If I eat that, I'm going to win a prize or some celebrity is going to jump out of the shadows and say, man, you've been punked or something like that. I mean, you just see what it is. I remember one time in North Carolina, somebody, oh, I should have named it place. But anyway, they, they gave us this meal, covered it with foil, and I took it back to the room. And when you took the foil off, literally the camel cigarette smoke just poofed up out of that plate from the, and the cat hair all over it. So, I mean, it's a hard Bible verse to obey, but it, nonetheless, they're supposed to eat whatever's put in front of them. The Lord said, as you go out, 
out. He said, I want you to heal the sick in those cities. I want you to minister to those that are hurting. I want you to preach the gospel. And he said, if that city won't receive you, then kick the dust off your feet. It's not on you to get the result. It's me that will get the result. And you just say, hey, they didn't want it. You go to the next city and preach the gospel there. Now, the disciples have gone forth. They've gone forth and they have preached. They have obeyed the Lord's command. They've been paired up two by two. Seventy of them. All these pairs of men have gone out and they've preached the gospel. The Bible tells us by their response that as they preached, amazing things happened. I don't know what all that means because it's not there. But reading the Gospels would tell me probably they could have seen blind people have their eyes open. That's pretty exciting. They might have seen deaf people have their ears open to where they could hear again. That's pretty exciting. There might have been a dumb man that was tongue-tied and now he's talking and talking clearly. That's pretty exciting. There could have been somebody dead, like a Sunday night crowd. Uh, Anyway, it could have been somebody dead there. And all of a sudden they rose from the dead. That's pretty exciting. There might have been somebody there that was a leper. I don't know. Could have been... And the leper got cleansed. That's pretty exciting. What I do know for sure is this. All the forces of hell that was working against them had to bow the knee at the gospel when those men came to town and started preaching it because there was more power on them than power in that crowd over there. Same thing's true tonight, by the way. We don't have to blush or buckle or apologize for the gospel. There is greater power with us than with the other crowd over there. Those men preach and the devils are subject unto them. Man, they're excited about that. They had a big day on the bus route. Record day in Sunday school. They prayed, had more men's prayer than ever before. Amen. Had the biggest offering that you'd ever, I've been wanting to walk down on that thing ever since the piano disappeared, but I'm not going to do it tonight. But anyway, I, I mean, all these great things are happening. Can you imagine? They've never seen anything like that. God used them in a powerful way. You better believe they didn't come back to Jesus like it was, a, 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 I don't know, like a, a watch night service at 11.59 p.m. and they were ready for the ball to drop and go to the house. I think they came back to the Lord a little bit stirred up, fellas, about that. I mean, I think they probably came back shouting over that, excited about what God had done in their life. Don't you think? If God used you like that, wouldn't that stir you up a little bit? I mean, wouldn't that help you just a little bit? Wouldn't that just kind of make you make a little bit of a smile crack across your face? If God had worked in your life and allowed you to see things like that happen. So they came back full of joy. You didn't have to pump them up. Didn't have to have a pep rally for 30 minutes to preach a 20-minute sermon and get one amen. They came walking back and said, whoa, God's been good. Man, God used our life. I can't believe what the Lord did. We got to see the devils be subject unto us. And they run back to Jesus, sort of like children, going back to their father. Oh, proud man, dad's going to be happy about this. And there's a Lord there. They come running back and say, hey, Jesus, here's what happened. You sent us out, gave us power, and here's what happened. The devils are subject unto us. Now, Jesus begins to offer just a little subtle rebuke to that. He says it in polite language, but basically saying this, You had not seen nothing compared to what I've seen. He said, you're rejoicing over small stuff. I've seen big stuff. You're rejoicing over the fact that these devils have been subject unto you. He said, but I'll tell you this. He said, I saw the devil himself, like a bolt of lightning in a summer thunderstorm, get cast out of heaven down to hell. 
I saw him lose his power. I saw him lose his position. I saw him brought low. And in verse number 19, he does give them room to rejoice. I'm not saying it's wrong to rejoice over temporal things because he says this, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So he's not saying you're wrong to be happy about the touch of God on your life. That's okay. I, all these things that you'll be able to do, these miracles, it's okay to rejoice in that. But then he turns it on him in verse number 20, and he says, listen, all that is great, but hold up just a second. There is something better and something bigger than all that deal you just experienced over there. He said, your heart and your head is looking too low. There's a truth higher than that that's greater than that and more worthy for you to rejoice over. And here's what he says. He says, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He says, first, don't rejoice. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Don't shout, shout. Don't worship, worship. Don't have joy, have joy. What he's saying is this, don't waste your time on passing things. Don't waste your worship on trivial things. Don't anchor your joy in dying things. He is saying this, anchor your rejoicing in something that never changes. He said, fellas, you're getting excited over works. I want you to get excited over grace. And here's what he says, don't rejoice that you've been able to make these devils bow, but rejoice that there is a record book that your name is written in. It's in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. Rejoice that your name is there. Imagine that. On the day those 70 unnamed men were saved, their name was written in a book. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know all that pertains. In fact, if the Bible, if we take it literally, their name was written in the book before they ever existed. Because Jesus was as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and their name was in the book of life before the foundation of the world. And the way you get your name out of the book is if you don't get saved, he'll blot your name out. That messes up a lot of our songs. I just thought about that. We can't sing some of these songs. But I do think it happened like this. Before they ever existed, that name was written down there. But then the day they got saved, the Lord got to walk over to the book and say, Gabriel, I told you so. I told you they're going to get saved. Their name's in the book. That means this, whenever Nicodemus got saved, that recording angel took that gold pen, went over there with indelible ink, and wrote his name, Nicodemus, there in the book of life. That means when that Samaritan woman got a drink of water, that recording angel went to that book with indelible ink and wrote her name in the book of life. That means when old Lazarus got resurrected, now don't get too excited on me, that'll make me nervous. That, that means whenever Lazarus got resurrected, that that recording angel went to a book of life in heaven and wrote Lazarus down in that book. That means whenever Zacchaeus got down out of the tree and met the master, that his name was placed there in that book. That means whenever Bartimaeus had his eyes open, his name was written down. And when the thief on the cross got saved, his name was written down. And when Peter got born again, his name was written down. And when Saul got saved and became Paul, his name was written down. And when the crippled man got born again, his name was written down. And when the maniac got saved, his name was written down. And when the leper got cleansed, his name was written down. And when the paralytic got born again, his name was written down. And all throughout the Bible, when those sinners got saved, but there's something better than that. When you got saved, whenever that was, when I got saved, on that day I got born again, my name was written in the book of life. And it's there to stay. It's there forever. Seasons might change. Times may change. Life may change. People may change. But that will never change. 
Don't rejoice in things that die. Don't rejoice in things that are temporal. Don't get wrapped up in things that are fleeting. But rejoice in this. Your name has preceded you. Your name is there. Hallelujah. That's almost enough to make a Baptist shout on Sunday night. Money comes and goes. Amen. Success can lose its luster. Feelings change and people may leave. But up in heaven there's an unchanging record written with unerasable ink. And your name was put there at salvation. It is there today. And neighbor, it is there to stay. My name is in the book of life. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. Thank God my name is there. Don't shout over silly things. Don't worship over the wrong thing. Don't rejoice over these kind of... Your name is in heaven. I'm glad she sang that song, Heaven's Gonna Be Wonderful. Never been there, haven't seen it, but I've read about it, sung about it, I've tried to preach about it, read about it in the Bible, read about it in other books, heard people testify of it, a lot of good stuff there. In heaven there are streets of pure gold, the gold is so pure you can look through it like glass. But there's something else up there. In heaven there is a sea of glass that shimmers like crystal that extends from an emerald throne. But there's something else up there. In heaven, there is a wall that surrounds that city made of jasper. But there's something else up there. Yeah, I have to hold my mule for a minute here. In that city, the foundation of that city is made of different kinds of precious stone. It's there. But something else is up there. In heaven, as you run your hand around those jasper walls, every once in a while you've got to take a break because you're going to run to a gate of pearl. One pearl per gate. Mays Jackson said, if the pearls are that big in heaven, imagine how good the oysters are going to be. <laughs> there's gates of pearl up there, but there's something else up there too. In heaven, there's a light that ever shines, and it's not from the S-U-N. It's there, but there's something else there too. In heaven, there's an altar, but there's something else there. In heaven, there's those 24 elders represents around the throne. There's something else up there. In heaven, there are mansions that line every avenue. As far as you can see, 1,500 miles every direction, up and down. The city built four square. But can I say there's something else up there too? In heaven, there's a rainbow that surrounds the throne. But there's something else up there in heaven tonight. In he Amen. In heaven, there's some things that aren't there. In heaven, there's no night up there, but there's something that is there. In heaven, there's no pain there, but there is something there. In heaven, there is no sin there, but there is something there. In heaven, there's no need to light a candle because there's no shadow up there, but there is something else up there. In heaven, there's no grave digger shovel needed. There's no graveyard, and there ever no, no ever any ambulance up there, but there is something else up there. Now, don't get too excited while I preach just a minute. Up in heaven, there's a lot of things. There's no cancer clinic up there, but there's some other stuff that is. There's no dialysis place up there, but there's something else that is. There's no need for any kind of a needle up there or bandage, but there's something else that is up there tonight. And listen, it might do a whole lot for you, and if it doesn't, then I can't help you. I mean, you're just beyond it. I don't know what to do. I don't think they have a vaccine for that kind of thing. Uh, but anyway, I'll tell you, there's something else that's up there. You say, what could be up there other than all that? I'll tell you what's up there right now. If you're saved, you can put your name right there. You might not have a name known in this world. There might not be a whole lot of people that care about you. Your name might not ever be up in lights or even on a bulletin, but thank God there's a book better than any other book, more important than any other registry. And if you're saved, your name is in 
that book. There's poor people's names and rich people's names and young people's names and old people's names and white people and black people and everybody in between, people from the city and the country. I'm talking about everybody who's saved. Their name is in the record book. Raymond, your name is in the book. And, uh, and uh, your name, Brandon, is in the book. And Brother Moore, your name is in the book. And Foley Boys, I'm praying your name will get in the book. I mean, I mean, your name is in the book. Brother Strofe, your name is in the book. Uh, Brother Lord, your name is in the book. Think about it. Your name is in the book. Brother Yaakov, your name is in the book. Brother Chung, right now, your name is in the book. Brother Manley, your name is in the book. Pray for his wife. I'm kidding. Mrs. Manley's name's in there twice. Your name is in the book. Hey, if you're saved tonight, isn't that a blessing? Your name is there. You say, but I've never been there. You're already there in the mind of God. You're already there in the heart of Christ. I'm already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, my Lord. If that doesn't stir you up, you're beyond any hope tonight. Thank God I'll never go to hell. I've got security in my Savior. I've got confidence in Jesus. I'm anchored in the Lord. Thank God my name is written down in the book of life. I might not make it in a magazine. I might not make it in a periodical. I might not make it on a Sunday school roster, but I'm on his registry tonight. I'm in that record book. My name is there. Hey, I'm glad that's real. That's more real than the padded pew you're sleeping on tonight. Your name is in the book if you're saved. Now, I know you'd rather shout over money. I know it's more fun to shout over your Chevette or whatever it is that you drive out there. I know you want to shout because you lost a pound. And we all know it's because you just took your shoes off where you stepped on the thing. By the way, wouldn't it be good if folks could lose weight without having to lose clothes at the same time? All right, anyway. I mean, I understand you had a good meal and everything, and you feel real satisfied with it, and you shout over the hamburger and the salmonella and all that. But tonight, I mean, even in the balcony, it's pretty good up there even, isn't it? Your name's in the book if you're saved. It tells me three things, and I'll close. I'm, I'm ready to quit hearing myself preach. Number one, it speaks of my cleansing. Because how in the world could my name ever get there? My name is the name of a sinner. By the way, yours is too. Amen. And nothing sinful can get to that place. So something had to happen between point A and point B to make me, to make me fit for that city. I tell you what it tells me. It speaks of my cleansing. You know what I like about this? Those men are 70 unnamed disciples. And though their names are not mentioned in Scripture, every one of them had their name written in the book of life up in heaven. And I like what Christ does. He said, you know what, fellas? I'm not even going to waste breath by giving the writer your names to pin here in his gospel. He said, but I want you to understand this. Your names are known to us in glory. Every one of them are written down in a book of life up there. And I know what they're thinking. How can we have our names up there? We're just old sinners. Yeah, but here's the thing. Sinners say, by grace. There had to be a transaction somewhere along the way that washed my sin away, that took my problems away, that took the condemnation away because I was not fit to get to that place. But if my name is there, it tells me I've been cleansed. Number two, it speaks to my citizenry because what that is is a register of all those who belong. It's not a passport. A passport gets you into another country that's not your home. And the purpose of the passport is you're not going to stay but for a while and then come back. I'm glad he didn't give me a passport. <laughs> because if he gave me a passport, that means I'd have to check out. I have full citizenship up there. With all the rights and privileges pertaining thereto. And then one more for you. It speaks of my confidence. Because if my name is written in an eternal place, then it means it must be there 
eternally. For him to take my name out of the book would make it something not eternal in a place that can only be eternal. So it tells me that I am hid in Christ in God and that I am kept by his power and secured in my salvation. So whenever the devil crawls up on your shoulder, whispers in your ear, you're not even saved. Hey, listen, there's a book up there. And I know my name got put in that thing when I got saved by the grace of God. And I might not always feel it and I don't always act like it, but it doesn't change the fact that my name is there. And you can take his nose and rub it in the book of life and say, read it. <laughs> That's my name right there. And by the way, where's your name? <laughs> Amen. Not there. Tonight, listen. With all the mess going on, there's not a whole lot to rejoice in down here, but that's the purpose. Amen. Jesus said, up there, there is something worthy of your rejoicing. Amen. You say, well, that's just a basic truth. Don't ever get over it. Amen. Don't ever get beyond it. Yeah. It's just good to be saved. Right. I'm glad my name's there. If you don't know for sure your name's in the book, that's all that matters. A million years from now, it won't matter. Anything else, nothing it won't matter if you don't know that your name is there. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.